If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 in our time together this morning. Um, I want you to think for just a moment with me. You're here today, and you are a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you, you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and he's in the process of changing your life, okay? It's a process, sanctification, it's sloppy, it's messy, we all know all that. Is it possible sometimes in following Christ that we're committed, but we're cautious, um, reasonable, uh, not, not fanatical, in, in control. Is it easy to do that sometimes in the way we follow Christ? I mean, you're saved. You know the Lord. He's important to you. You, th- you thank him for what he's done for you on the cross. All that stuff. When you come to Luke chapter 5, Peter is kind of there. What we know is we, as we put together the, the, the ministry of Peter as a couple, the life of Peter, we know a couple in relation to Christ. What we know is that he's already spent a year with Jesus on kind of like short-term mission trips. We know that from John's gospel. And we know from Matthew and Mark's gospel that there's been times when he's left the fishing and gone off and done things with Jesus, but then he's come back to fishing again for a period of time and not... You know, it's just, it's just kind of part of the process. But think of him in these short-term mission trips, if you will. There's a real turn that's going to occur here in Luke chapter 5. And a man who is committed to Christ becomes overwhelmed by Christ and really moves to a new level. And I want you to watch. Now, now when I say to a new level with Peter, I don't mean perfection. Is that true? I mean, you can say anything you want about Peter, but you would never use the word perfection with Peter. But, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a step, it's an important step. And my prayer is that what happens to Peter will happen to us. Now, when you go back to chapter 4, James had talked about last week about the message that, that Jesus actually gave in Nazareth. I want, you, I want you to recognize something. This is, this is important. In chapter 4, verse 31 to the end of the chapter, okay, everything that happens there happens over a period of 24 hours, over a day. I mean, you're talking about a long-haul mis- uh, ministry day for Jesus. This is it. It's going to start in the synagogue, and it's going to go all day long. It's going to go all night and it's going to end with him moving away to try to do some praying early in the morning. Hasn't slept a bit until people come and Peter come and everybody tries to kind of grab him. So it is one long day ministry. And the reason I mention it is this. Peter was clearly there at the second half of the day and probably there all day long. The reason I say that is when you come to chapter 5, I don't want you to think that Peter has never seen Jesus do any miracles. He's seen them all over the way. Matter of fact, in this case, he's seen some whopping good miracles. So I want to read chapter 4, verse 31. We're just kind of reading. I will try not to make comments. I will just try to read and make minor comments along the way and not get caught. But if you're Peter and you're involved and you're hearing all of this, 
you have to be amazed when you get to the end of this experience. And yet, Jesus is going to have something else for him in Luke chapter 5. So listen to what happens here. Verse 31. Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. And we're going to hear about what some of that message probably entailed in two weeks when we get to the Sermon on the Plain, but for now, we'll leave it there. And, And there was a man in the synagogue possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him without doing him any harm, which is a bit of a miracle in itself. And amazement came upon them all, and they began discussing with one another, saying, What is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and the report of him was getting out into every locality in the surrounding district. So you're you're Peter probably in the synagogue. We don't know for sure, but my guess is he's there. And he's watching this whole thing and some guy's demon possessed and the demon begins to speak and Jesus says, quiet, get out of him and don't hurt him in the process. That would impress me. You know what I mean? And then look what happens next. Verse 38. Jesus arose and left the synagogue. He entered Simon's home. Right, so Simon's having him back to his place. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they made request of him on her behalf. I imagine that's Simon and his wife. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and left her, and she immediately arose and waited on them. Isn't that unbelievable? Have you ever come out of a sickness? You know, you're getting over the flu, and you kind of want to do life in process, right? You want to slowly introduce things? This woman's miracle was so instantaneous. One minute she's down, Jesus stands over, heals her. She gets up, man, and she's, she's got all the energy you can imagine. She's ready to go. Peter's watching all this stuff. You know, Peter's it's my mother-in-law. And I, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking he's really happy even though it's his mother-in-law. You know, I think, I mean, at every level, I think this is important. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Um, I'll, I'll move on. Okay. Um, and while the sun was setting, do you see now, we're, we're into the early evening, aren't we? All who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. And demons also were coming out, out of many crying out, saying, you're the son of God. And rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be Messiah. And that's one witness he's not particularly interested in. And when day came, in verse 42, what's that mean? Jesus was doing miracles all night. When day came, he departed and went to a lonely place. And multitudes were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. And Peter saw all this. And Jesus is going to go on another mission. Very likely Peter was on some of that. But 
when we come back, when we come to Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, there is a gap for whatever reason, and Peter is back fishing. And that's where it's going to open up. Is it possible to become enamored with Christ and love Christ and thankful to Christ? And then just to kind of level out for a period of time. Well, if you're like me, like every week, if we're not very, very careful. So, let's work through this story and see what Jesus does. Because it's interesting to me, he just does one miracle, but this miracle man is a whopper for Peter. When he's seen all these other miracles. The setting, chapter 5, verse 1, 3, and here, this is what I would say. Um, when this story starts out, kind of think of a, a, of, a, of a platform. Oh, I know what, I, you know, I wanted to do something here today. I forgot to do it. I'll have to estimate. Tim, you can probably help me with this, but we'll, we'll get to it in a couple minutes. Um, think of, of kind of a stage. Peter starts out in the wings of this stage. And he's thinking that's his role for this story. He's just going to be out there in the wings. But what we find as the story develops Peter keeps moving closer and closer. And before you know it, he's in the very forefront. And he didn't even realize it, but this story is about Jesus and Peter. And he was thinking it was about them and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. So watch as it develops from the setting where he starts out here till he moves to the center stage. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, which is a really good thing, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. Right, in the Sea of Galilee. And they'll call it different things based on what town you're looking at nearby the sea. Okay, but it's the same one, Sea of Galilee, all the same thing. And, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not the son of a fisherman. So anything I learn about fishing, I've got to read, okay, in antiquity. But one of the things that they found in the Sea of Galilee, one of the best times to fish is at night. And so these guys had fished all night long. That's when you catch them. They know that. These, these are accomplished fishermen. But this night didn't go so well. And um, have you ever put a lot of effort into something and not gotten anything in, re in, in response for it? I mean, that's really frustrating. If I was them, I'd be mumbling under my breath. You know what I mean? Saying, I don't know. Maybe we should have gone a little bit that direction. Why didn't we go that direction? I don't know. We, that's what Peter said. No, I think it was John. I don't, man, I don't know what they were saying, but I'd be a little bit testy. I'm at least tired, if not testy. So they're washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus is teaching. And the problem is, if you back Jesus up against the lake, there's like no place to go. And these crowds like violate personal space. You know what I mean? I mean, you were thinking like, this is about as close as I want to come. You know, you give me distance. I know, man, they're like right up on top of him. Well, there's a good option. If you hop in a boat and go out a little way, not only will your voice project, but you know they can't be right all on top of you. 
So Jesus is there, and Peter's over here, and he sees Jesus. And Peter's and Jesus is saying, can I use your boat to push out? And Peter's thinking like, well, sure. I mean, we'll push out a little bit. You'll speak. We'll push back in. And I'm coming back to bed. I mean, that's Peter. I mean, that's, 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 that, that's what he's thinking at this point. And so Jesus teaches in verse 4, when Jesus had finished speaking, I mean, Simon Peter's thinking, let's go to the land, and I'm going to bed. Right? And Jesus has a little, little bit of a different agenda. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, like I said, it may not mean a whole lot to you, but that's the dumbest of kind of advice you could possibly give somebody. Honestly, a fisherman. You want me to go out into the deep? No, 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 no. That's too far out. During the day? That's what Peter's thinking. Peter's thinking, we just gave it our best shot at night at the right location. Nothing. But Peter's been a year with Jesus. Peter's seen miracles by Jesus. Peter loves Jesus. Peter follows Jesus. Peter wants to respect Jesus. All good stuff. But he's got to answer. Now, I, I guess what I should have said, I wanted to measure this out and I forgot, so maybe Tim can help me here. The, the, this boat, they, they've actually, if you go went over to visit Israel, you can actually go to a museum by the Sea of Galilee and they've got a boat that they discovered that's 2,000 years old. It had gotten down into the mud and was preserved. Anyway, and, and it's a fishing vessel. And so they've reconstructed. Matter of fact, better than that, I think I got it here somewhere. I just probably have to turn this on. That would probably be good. Tim, incidentally, I don't think anybody's called me a learned man. I, I'm going to thank you for that. That was, that was very nice. I can't figure out how to turn switches on, but I appreciate that very much. That's not the best picture. But anyway, there, there is, the, if you went over there, this would be the boat. It's about 27 feet long. Now, Tim, how far would 27 feet be? Are you kidding me? You know that? From where now? Okay, so how far? That far? Okay, that, that's a good-sized boat. You can see why you can get all the disciples in that thing. It's about seven feet wide and about four feet high. Here's what I, I think you need. And, and please remember that. Okay, so are you kind of like figuring this out here? That, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's big. But as we continue, it's going to be like overwhelmingly big. All right? The other thing to remember, when Simon pushes out with Jesus in the boat, it's not just Simon and Peter. He has other guys on the boat with him who helped him. Right? Because he's got to talk to them here. He's not talking to them himself. He's talking to somebody. There's at least one other guy on this boat. Probably two. So listen to what Peter says here in verse 5. I love it. All right. So Jesus says, Peter, go out there where you shouldn't go and drop down your nets at a terrible time. Basically. Simon answered and said, remember, he wants to be careful, respectful, all those good things. Master, we worked hard all night. That's code for... That's when you catch them. All night. 
hard. And we caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. <laughs> you see what he's done? It's pretty clever. He's careful. I, I, I don't know this. When I get to heaven, I would like to ask Peter, what were the other guys, your other partners on the boat saying when this was all going on? Would you like to know that? Like, you know, Peter's, Jesus says, let's go out. And they're probably going like, what? Uh, at your bidding, Lord, we will, you know, I mean, I don't know what that looked like, but that, that's kind of what I imagine in my head, something, something like that. Um, and when they had done this, and the story, story uh, this, Luke runs this so quickly, you know, but, but believe me, this is a little bit of a process. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. But it's going to get worse. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat. So it wasn't just Peter and at least one or two other guys. They're signaling to another boat that's this big. Okay? So we got two 27, 30-foot boats. And they're saying, help. Get over here. Uh, They signaled them for them to come and to help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. So that's a lot of fish. And I'm not a fisherman. I've heard fishermen tell some pretty whopping stories that I don't know if exactly happened. This fishing story actually happened. And so you got a boat that size. They totally fill it up with fish, so much so that the boat's ready to, it's about ready to sink. And the other boat comes over, and they do the same thing with that. That's a whopping good miracle. Now, what do you think Peter's going to say? Years ago, I think I've told you this before, but years ago, I read this passage to my kids. And it must have been one of those passages that, for whatever reason, they had never heard in Sunday school, which is kind of beyond me, but whatever. Because they didn't know the ending. So I read up to this point. I said, you know, this happened in that boat and filled with fish and I'm about ready to sink and the whole thing. I said, what do you think Peter said? Oh, man, they thought that was a good question from Dad. They didn't know. And I remember, you know, think by our supper table quiet, like non-existent. <laughs> I mean, we normally run like two or three conversations simultaneously. But I asked the question. They just sat there quietly and thought for a minute. Then one of my sons said, I think I know Dad. What do you think? I bet Peter went, Wow. So you know what? That's what I'd say too. Doesn't Peter's response strike you as interesting? He doesn't say wow. I mean, he is wowed. He is amazed. He's a wow. Okay, I, I understand that. But listen to his response. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, listen to this, folks. Depart from me, For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say, wow? None of my kids came up with this one. 
And I've thought hard about that one. I can't find any suggestion that Peter's ever said that for any other miracle that Jesus has ever done. But he does say it for this one. Why? Seems to me that this is what's going on. What was the one area of Peter's life that he knew? That he controlled. That he could do well. That he didn't need any help with. Would it not be fishing? I mean, that was the one area. Jesus, I do the fishing stuff. You do the Messiah stuff. Right? Or something like that. And Jesus is telling him in this passage, Peter, I've done this great miracle so that you can know something. I'm Lord of every area of your life. There's there's nothing that you do that's out of my control. And I think when Peter says, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, what he's saying here is, Lord, I've just told you, the Messiah, who can do it all, that your decision was kind of stupid about going out there and dropping the nets. And I'm overwhelmed with your greatness. I've seen the other miracles. But when you touch this area of my life that I think I control, you're Lord there too. It's an amazing story, isn't it? What we could say is that Peter is startled by his greatness. I want you to think about something. When Peter said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, was he correctly evaluating his relationship with Christ? Was he great and was Peter sinful? Actually, he was right on. And could Jesus have said, okay, I'm going to depart. Jesus can do whatever he wants. But one who is startled by the greatness of God and sees Wow! Ugh! Me! Is now going to be surprised by his grace. Look at what he does. Verse 10b. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Wow! Now think about that. Peter says, God, you should have nothing to do with me. Depart from me. I'm here. You are here. He's correct. He's absolutely correct. And Jesus says, yeah, and you're the very person I want to use. And Peter, remember that great miracle I did with catching fish? It's nothing but an object lesson. That's it. Do you know, Peter, what I can do in your life with people? By my power and my authority, you can catch people. You're right, but I want to use you. If you're Peter, 
And you've just thought, I get, I should have nothing from him. And then the next moment, Jesus is saying, I want to use you to do the most significant kind of ministry in the world, working for me, catching people, bringing people into the kingdom, Christ followers, me. They're like, holy tamale. Right? It's from the Greek. And so this man who was startled by his greatness, surprised by his grace, what else could you do but be submissive to his call? So notice how the text ends. And when they had brought their boat to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter's not yet been appointed as an apostle. But this man has been so overwhelmed by God's greatness and his grace. That everything else pales in comparison to Christ. I worry about myself sometimes. God probably worries about me a lot more than I do. Because this is my business, you know? Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy that does this stuff. Tim and I, we, we, we do this kind of stuff. It's easy sometimes, though, even for ministers, just to get comfortable. Am I right? It's, just, it's easy for all of us. Nobody, if you know Jesus as your Savior, nobody wants to walk away from Jesus. You love Jesus. You're so thankful to Jesus. But we don't want to be out of control. We don't want to be radical for that. But we should be, shouldn't we? And, and you don't do that by saying, I'm going to be radical. You do that by looking at him. And in looking at him, we see one who is humbled by the greatness of God now sees ministry as a privilege to, 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 to reach out to others by his grace and for his glory. Duty will only take you so far. So I'm just going to gut it out as a Christian. Now look, I understand there's an element of that which is, which is true. I mean, I'm not saying you wake up every day happy, happy, go lucky. Guys, come on. I mean, good, if you do, praise the Lord. But most of us just aren't there. So I, I understand that. But if my Christian life is always about, I'm supposed to do it, so I better do it. Supposed to be nice to people, minister to people, evangelize, help, the, help, help save people. Yeah. yeah, if that's all it is, it just gets old, folks. Doesn't it? Because you know what? People can be a pain in the neck sometimes. I mean, not you, but them. <laughs> no, it's not true. I'm a pain in the neck sometimes for people. I know that. Don't your kids get like that sometimes? <laughs> for most of us. And, and so the issue is, you don't even ultimately do it just for them, do you? You love God's people. You love the world because God does. You're overwhelmed in your conversion. Isn't that what happened? 
for the first time in your life, you said, I am so undone, I cannot get to God. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I deserve nothing from you. And God said, but my son has come to die for you. And I will redeem you and call you my children and change your life and give you my spirit and give you purpose and meaning and peace in life and you'll be with me for all eternity. Wow. And it doesn't stop. Because God keeps bringing me back through the gospel again to say, Doug, Doug, don't start believing the newspaper clippings that people write because it means nothing at the end of the day. This is it. And this is what I do with my humbled people who say, God, I deserve nothing from you, but I'd be really happy to sign up if you'll let me, if you'll use me with people. I'll use you to do something significant to reach out so when you and I speak the gospel into people's lives, whether they're Christians or lost, we do it because of him at the end of the day. I mean, that's the movement of this text. When I read Luke 5, the, the illustration that kind of comes to my mind or, or the, the picture that comes to my mind is the Isaiah 6 picture. Isn't it kind of similar with Isaiah? I mean, Isaiah's ministering and so on and so forth. But in Isaiah chapter 6, he gets this incredible vision from God. And what he sees is this. And then he finds how God moves and purifies him and does this. And then God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah goes, here am I. Send me. Now, do I mean by that that we all have to follow Marie and travel overseas? To, is she in Cambodia? Yeah. We all have to go to Cambodia tomorrow. If you're going to be like Peter, to Cambodia, we sign up next week. Now, Marie may be happy about that, but is that the point? Or is this much more of an attitude? So if you're a young mother with children at home, you're in a season of life where that is your ministry. Is it not? And God, yes, yes. Doesn't always feel like ministry. But God says, I want to use you to raise up the next generation for the glory of God. A fish for those young people. And when you go to work and you're surrounded with lost people all around, God says, because you understand this, you just can't help but go up and tell people, i got to tell you about Jesus. Because, yeah, there's bad news, but, man, there's good news. And you got to hear them both. It's good. So I don't know where you are in life. Maybe, maybe God wants some of you to go to the mission field. That may be. But whether you're there or here, oh, that God would help us to become so enamored with him, his incredible greatness, and his grace, to which we then say, here am I, Lord, send me. I've often thought about this. If all you ever talk about is the greatness of God, holy, righteous, transcendent, powerful, etc., etc., and my sinfulness, which is all true, which is, which, which is all true. All, if all you ever talk about is the greatness of God, my life will be crippled if that's all I hear. If all you talk about is the grace of God, apart from that, you trivialize God. Don't you? All of my life is where sin abounds 
grapes abounds more. Right? That's how it moves in the Gospels and in Paul and in Peter and in the whole New Testament. Duty will only take us so far. But one who is humbled by God's greatness, matter of fact, I think I even have it up here. I could just read it. Maybe, maybe not. Ah, ah. One who is humbled by God's greatness is privileged to minister to humanity by God's grace. I don't know where that is for you, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're with us here today and you know the Lord is your Savior, I'm talking to brothers and sisters today. We're glad you're here. We would just like you to get involved in this journey. You need to become a forgiven follower of Christ. That's where it all begins. But for most in here, I believe you're forgiven followers of Christ. And God wants to, again and again, to overwhelm us with who he is, both his greatness and his grace, that it just moves us out into this world. Remember in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Uh, Mr. Beaver is talking about the great lion. And I'll probably have this wrong, but it says something like this. The children say, is, is the lion tame? And the response back is, oh no, the lion is not tame. But the lion is kind. The lion is not tame. The lion is not tame. There's a great golf. But the lion is kind. And when we live our lives in that sweep, ministry is a great privilege. With people who are a pain in the neck sometimes. All true. All true. Peter has taken a big step. Now you watch Peter. He's going to backpedal some too. Okay, fair enough. But he's taken a big step on this one. My prayer is that God will overwhelm you with him. His greatness and his grace in conjunction together as the motivation to love and minister to others. Father,